The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In the dark room of an old house, a man and a woman talk. The woman is dressed as a traveler, gaunt and tired-looking. The man wears his house clothes, his hands stained with ink. The two embrace, and the woman runs from the house. They were lovers once, grand dreams that drove them apart, dreams that never came into the fullness that they expected. The man watches her go, and then returns to his desk, where he keeps his papers, the stories that were once his dream. For two minutes, he silently tears up the papers, stashing them beneath the bed in the corner, before he finally leaves the room. After a moment, another group enters. The boy's mother, the lady of the house, her lover, the local doctor, and the housekeepers and their daughter. They sit at a table and begin to play at cards, when suddenly there is the sound of a shot from the other room. The doctor goes to check, claiming that a bottle in his kit may have burst, and returns shortly after, reassuring everyone that nothing is wrong. He then pulls aside the lady's lover, begging that he take her away. Her son has shot himself. And that's the end of the play! Hello everyone and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris, and that's it. There's no Dylan this week. Dylan had some family issues to attend to. Uh, we were not able to get a time when we were both going to be together to record. And by the time I figured that out, I didn't feel like being like, hey, other friend who might be willing to co-host, do you want to record in two days? So we're going to do something different and just have me uh, this week. This is going to serve as kind of a uh, a proof of concept for something I've wanted to work on for a very long time, which is my essay or video essay or something talking about God of War 2018 and the ways in which it is incredibly similar to the works of playwright Anton Chekhov. I've talked about that briefly like a long time ago on this show, but I want to do kind of a deep dive into what I mean by that and what the narrative tools that God of War 2018 uses are that sort of set it apart from a lot of other action-heavy game franchises. So, I hope you're ready for a whole lot of just my voice, and no, not probably not as many goofs, because my, my goofing brain works much better when I'm just sort of talking with a friend and I'm able to play off someone else. So, it might not be as funny as some of our other episodes, but I hope it will be fun. It will also probably be uh, sizably shorter than we're used to, but who knows? We'll have a fun little discussion, and... I'm excited to get these thoughts out there and hopefully they will crystallize a little bit more for me so that I can maybe do something else on this topic in the future if I'm not satisfied with where I get today. So to begin, who the heck is Anton Chekhov? Well, Anton Chekhov was a notable playwright. He was a Russian author. He wrote a lot of short stories. He also wrote many plays. And he was working entirely in the late 19th century in Russia. Uh, he was one of the pioneers of what is referred to as modernism in theater, which is largely categorized by plays about 
people. And I know that sounds like a dumb thing to specify, but what I mean by that is modernist plays are not about big events so much as they are about how people respond to events. Uh, another term that it was that a term for one of the branches that sort of spun off or from modernism and is encapsulated by it pretty firmly is uh, drawing room theater, which is just plays that happen in the drawing room of a fancy family's house and is about the issues that that family uh, experiences. Uh, Eugene O'Neill with things like Long Day's Journey into Night uh, is another prominent modernist playwright. And then it sort of, this trend sort of bleeds into where playwrights like Arthur Miller start to come in with things like Death of a Salesman and A View from the Bridge and that sort of oeuvre of plays about people going through problems with one another rather than plays about big sweeping events. So Chekhov wrote a great many plays, and I'm going to go into detail on a few of them. What I what I read as the intro to this episode is my sort of brief retelling of the final moments of his play, The Seagull. Uh, the Seagull is a play about, if I had to boil it down, it's a play about delusions of grandeur and about people having dreams that they can't attain and how that impacts them. And it ends with this scene, as I've described, the two two of the main characters, Nina and Constantine, reunite. Nina, who dreamed of being an actress, is now off doing a touring production, but it's not the stardom that she dreamed of. She dreamed of playing in the theaters of Moscow and Petersburg, and instead she's, you know, on the road doing small performances. And Constantine, who is an author and was writing plays throughout the play, has now, you know, he's still living at home. He hasn't gotten out of his mother's estate. He's been published, but it's short stories. He, They're both living these sort of facsimiles of the dreams that they've held on to for so long. And as Con- as Nina leaves, Constantine real- like has a realization of some sort. And the play ends on his suicide. This death notably happens off stage and is then reported by uh, Evgenia Dorn, the doctor who plays another fairly pivotal role throughout the play, returning to inform the audience that this shot took place. And that is kind of what I want to dig into first. There is this impulse in reading Chekhov. The, the, the common joke about Chekhov's plays are that all the action happens off stage, which is kind of true in the play Uncle Vanya, which is where a lot of this concept of, if you've ever heard of the type, the idea of Chekhov's gun, where if you've got a gun on stage in Act 1, that gun better go off before the end of the play. Uh, in, in Uncle Vanya, Act 3 ends with a gun that has been discussed on stage before being fired first off stage, and then the characters run on stage, and he fires again and misses. Uh, in the play The Cherry Orchard, the culmination of Act 3 going into Act 4 happens when the titular Cherry Orchard lights on fire offstage and is dealt with offstage. And then in uh, his other big play, the, his four biggest plays, Seagull, Uncle Vanya, The Cherry Orchard, and The Three Sisters, one of the big plot points that sort of drives home the end of The Three Sisters is a duel that happens, say it with me now, offstage. There's this idea in Chekhov's plays of sort of watching what happens in the wings of important events. And it's honestly really cool, because if you think about it, for one thing, the spectacle of a fire happening, like ravaging a cherry orchard, not super easy to to achieve in a stage show. But 
also, what's important there? Yes, the fact that the cherry orchard is no longer there is a big deal, but it only matters because of how that matters to the characters on stage. And so by choosing to let these earth-changing events happen off stage or happen between acts, he can focus in on what it is his ability as a playwright to achieve, which is characters interacting, characters having conversation, characters talking to one another and trying to get things from one another in the wake of these circumstances. But Chris, I hear you wonder, what the hell does this have to do with God of War 2018? Well, I'll tell you, listener. The thing about God of War 2018 that I love so much, and it's wild to be able to say this about a God of War game, is its restraint. And I promise I will make that make sense, but for contrast, God of War, the first one, the original PlayStation 2 game, the tutorial level culminates in you, like, not even 30 minutes into the game, climbing up the side of a sea serpent to hack its eyes out with your giant spinny chain blades. It is a fantastic sequence, it's a huge spectacle, they nail it, it's a really, really cool way of opening this game that really sets you up for what God of War is going to be about, and it's also absolute pedal-to-the-metal uh, rock band album cover nonsense, and I love it. God of War 2018 begins. The opening shot of the game is that of Kratos, the god-man that climbed the serpent and killed, like, decimated the entire Greek pantheon in three games, plus some mobile games. God of War 2018 finds him standing in front of a tree, he kneels down to eye level with a handprint marked in paint on the side of the tree. He sort of touches his forehead to the bark. He brings a hand up to touch the handprint. And then he stands up and you as the player hit a button to cause him to swing his giant axe and fell this tree. You then pick up the tree and you very slowly walk with Kratos, talking to a young boy who you slowly come to realize is his son. And he brings this tree back to his home and lays it on a pyre. You then walk into the house. You pick up a body wrapped in a shroud, lay it on the fire, and light it on fire. Like, it cannot be more tonally different. You go from storming a pirate boat and fighting a sea serpent to laying your wife to rest, and then going on an expedition with your son to see if he's a good enough hunter to come with you on what you have to do next, before you even know what that is. Just as an intro, you don't know... Like, you, you pick up a lot of what's going on through context clues. You are able to realize, oh, you're lighting a funeral, a, fu a funeral fire, a funeral pyre. You're putting a woman to rest. It comes out through dialogue that it was Kratos' wife and it was this boy's mother. You are able to glean from what happens a lot of story, but you don't see the death. You don't know anything about what happened before because you don't need to. The scene is enough, and I think that's one of the big similarities, is there's a lot happening in the wings of God of War 2018, but there's this constant belief that the scene is enough for the player to know what's going on. There's a lot of great dialogue, there's a lot of great things that the production of God of War 2018 does to allow this very Chekhovian approach to storytelling. Another big comparison that I really, really appreciate is that another of the critiques of Chekhov plays is that there's this idea that, like, nothing ever happens. There plays, by and large, all four of his major plays, Vanya, Siegel, Sisters, and Orchard, kind of end in a very similar place to where they begin. Siegel 
obviously the big difference is that this guy is dead, but all of the other characters are still in the same general situation. Uh, Three Sisters is a play about three girls who live in a small provincial town and they're uh, the daughter of a military commander. So they're sort of living it up with these soldiers, but then they know the soldiers are going to leave. And so they're trying desperately to get to Moscow and they don't. The play ends with them all staying roughly in the same position as where they began. Uncle Vanya is a, a story of a man who feels like he's thrown his life away being the manager of the estate for this professor that he no longer likes and ends with him remaining there and managing the estate for this professor. And yet they're all, when done well, incredibly compelling plays because they're not plays about nothing happening. They're plays about people trying as hard as they can to get the things that they want and just not being able to make it happen. And in a way, that's one of the things about God of War 2018 is it's not a play about Kratos seeking revenge against the gods. It's not a play, or play. It's not a game about Kratos having some grand thing that he's trying to achieve in this cosmic realm. It's a game about Kratos trying to fulfill his wife's last wishes. It's a game in which you as Kratos are just trying to take your wife's ashes to where she wanted them scattered, and the entire fucking universe gets in the way of that in the form of the god Baldur, who is trying to fight you for reasons that you are not aware of until literally the end of the game. There is the fact of these other Norse gods, the son of the sons of Thor, getting in your way for reasons that are very much unclear. There's all of this cosmic happening around you that Kratos doesn't care about, and that really the game doesn't care about. The game's story is not about Kratos goes out to beat up Thor's sons, or Kratos has to find a way to kill Baldur. That happens because Kratos just wants to get done with this thing so that he can go home with his son. And the fact that as I was playing the game, I honestly, because I it was a God of War game, I was waiting for Thor to show up. I was waiting for Odin. I was waiting for all of these other figures from mythology to get in the way of the meat grinder that is Kratos. And it didn't happen. You fight Baldur a couple of times. You fight Thor's kids because they, like, get in your way once and then continue to hound you and it be kind of becomes a necessity. But the game's not about that. These are obstacles to the thing that Kratos is try trying to achieve and they necessitate him going back into this world, the supernatural, and back into this realm of the gods that he, by all accounts, seems to have pretty well and truly washed his hands of in the time between the previous installments in the game and God of War 2018. I've read a uh, an interview with the game's director, Cory Barlog, uh, in which he is, he was talking about, you know, he made the original games when he was in his 20s and early 30s, and he was writing a story from his perspective there and now nearly a decade later he's a dad and he's got a kid and so the kind of story he wanted to tell was much more about that kind of relationship and exploring what it means to be a father and exploring what it means to try to have more responsibility than maybe Kratos originally thought of himself as having. Uh, the works of Chekhov spread into America largely thanks to one of his collaborators in Russia, the actor Konstantin, and actor and director Konstantin Stanislavsky, uh, who's famous in theater for sort of being one of the first people to lay out his thoughts on how to act and developing what was referred to as the Stanislavsky method. 
uh, and Stanislavski worked with Chekhov frequently and and is quoted as saying this. I think this is a, this gets at something meaningful in what Chekhov did well and also in what this God of War game does well. Stanislavski wrote, Chekhov often expressed his thoughts not in speeches, but in pauses or between the lines or in replies consisting of a single word. The characters often feel and think things not expressed in the lines they speak. Now, I need to engage with this slightly because as an actor, the only thing you have to work with is the lines. However, there is such a thing as, as subtext, and there is such a thing as meaning that can be con conveyed through how you perform. And if you read a line and you can tell, like, oh, that's what this line is trying to achieve, that's what this line is doing tactically, that's kind of what he's getting at here. Stanislavski had different language than we have now to discuss this kind of thing. But that's getting at this idea that Chekhov was very interested in looking at how people communicate and in looking at how stories can be told not just through let me tell you everything about what happened off stage, but also in how the people are talking and in what they're not saying as much as in what they are saying. Uh, Chekhov was, it's kind of like that old statement about jazz, that jazz is the notes you don't play. And the God of War games tap into this in a very interesting way where like you see a lot of Kratos' interactions with his son and that development of that relationship from Kratos basically just growling the word boy at him over and over again in the beginning and screaming at him that you are, that he is not ready to this respect for his son as the game goes on. It is as much through what Kratos says as it is through the ways that that interaction changes in more intangible ways and in the performance that the actor gives in the, the longer periods between rebuttals and telling the boy that he is not ready. The last similarity I wanted to drive home uh, comes from a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a quote from Anton Chekhov. He said in a letter at one point, You are right in demanding that an artist should take an intelligent attitude to his work, but you confuse two things, solving a problem and stating a problem correctly. It is only the second that is obligatory for the artist. And that, I think, speaks a lot to what Chekhov is going for. His plays are very open-ended. They're open to interpretation. There's a lot of just like, like I said, it's all about people trying really hard to get what they want and then not really getting what they want. And he kind of leaves it up to you to decide, is that okay? Is this a compelling ending to this story? Is this what this character is, is okay with now? There's a lot of... There's a lot of thought that can be put into staging a Chekhov play in looking for whose story is it? Who do we want to make the focus of the story for this production? Who gets to have that final moment of change that solidifies it as a story about them? What are the changes that are going on? Are the characters okay with this? How much of this is true? And God of War 2018 ends, and I guess spoilers for God of War 2018, the game ends with Kratos realizing that his wife who he had been trying to keep his godhood a secret from his whole time in the Norse mythology lands, he finds out that his wife was a giant, which makes his son half god and half giant. And there is a prophecy that they find in the giant's realm about his son, in which they call his son Loki. And that's like the final bombshell that the game ends on, and it just leaves this great world of, like, they don't explain why this giant was living as a human. They don't explain if she knew that Kratos was a god. They introduce these problems. They introduce these puzzles that they leave ambiguous for you as the player to puzzle over. 
even the issue of Balder, like it, that makes it kind of implied that Balder was not actually looking for Kratos, that Balder was actually looking for Kratos's wife. But Balder then sticks with Kratos and they leave a lot of this stuff in the realm of like, the conflict is almost all coincidental and yet also faded as shown by this kind of prophecy that they stumble upon. And it's, they build this beautiful nut for you to try to crack however you desi- decide that you want to. And I think that if Anton Chekhov was a gamer, he would be really into that. So that was largely me rambling for a while about things that I think are cool, but I had fun and it helped to crystallize some more ideas about where to maybe go with this topic in the future and with some more research time for it. Um, I hope you had fun. I promise that next week we'll have Dylan back so that I will be able to bounce off of him and we'll be able to talk about something and hopefully I will be more entertaining than I was just now, though I hope you still had fun listening to me just sort of chat and bring in a little bit more of a theatrical bent for this episode that I'm running that I'm flying solo on this being a 20 minute episode it felt silly to break it up in the middle and go to the playbill so I'll just fold those things into these final announcements that we're doing right now thank you again for listening to backstage gaming if you like what I had to say and if you like what Dylan has to say when he's here please consider checking us out at our website bsgpod.com there you can find our episodes you can find a contact link to get in touch with us you can also find some just info about me and Dylan. You should also check us out on wherever you get your podcasts. They are there at bsgpod.com, but they're also on iTunes. They're on Spotify. They're on Stitcher. They're on the Google Play Store. They're now on uh, Radio Public. And wherever you get them, please consider leaving a review, leaving a rating, doing something to let the algorithms and the other people looking for new podcasts to listen to, uh, to just let them know that this is something worth checking out. You can also find us on social media. We have a page on Facebook, on Instagram. We have a YouTube where all of our episodes get put. We're also on Twitter under the handle BSG underscore cast. If you like what we're doing or if you want to yell at us about how our opinions are wrong, please consider doing that using hashtag BSG pod. You should also go check out our friend Brennan French. He is the artist behind our cover art. Uh, He is super fun and super cool, and you should check out all of his artwork. You can find it at brennanfrench.squarespace.com that's b-r-e-n-n-e-n hyphen french.squarespace.com or on his instagram instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts you should also check out bioquery the musician behind our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality he's a super cool guy he's a good friend of ours and he let us use our or his music for our show you can find him at or on Spotify by searching bioquery that's b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y or at soundcloud.com slash bioquery You should also be on the lookout for me and Dylan on several other podcasts. Dylan and I are going to be on on some upcoming works with our friends at the Unexplored Places podcast. They are a actual play podcast formerly running in Monster of the Week and now moving into some different things as they head towards Season 2. Dylan and I are going to be doing some work with them in in, uh, interseason episodes and some Patreon-exclusive content, and it's a ton of fun. I recorded my first thing with them recently, and it was just an absolute blast. Dylan also has another podcast out now with our mutual friend Coop called Dude, You Remember Macross, in which they are going back and re-watching an old 80s anime series called Superdimensional Fortress Macross and just offering their commentary on it, and it's been super fun. I've never watched the show, but I've been enjoying listening to it and learning about a, uh, a mecha anime that I'd never heard of before. You can also find me on a couple of audio drama podcasts that are upcoming. I am in the final episode coming up of the podcast Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. They are on currently releasing either episode six or seven when this episode comes out, and I am in the final moments of episode eight, so be on the lookout for that so you can hear me screaming a whole lot. 
I've been cast at, in the upcoming audio drama podcast, The God's Head Incidental, which you can follow on Twitter at God's Head Pod. That's G-O-D-S-H-E-A-D-P-O-D. Uh, I've also recently been cast in another upcoming podcast called Lockups, which you can follow on Twitter at Lockups Podcast. I'm really excited about both of those. It's going to be fun to play. Uh, it was super fun to record for God's Head, and I'm very excited to start recording for Lockups because I'm getting to play an absolute asshole, which is always fun. And one more thing before I let you go, please do remember that we have launched a Patreon, patreon.com slash bsgpod, where we're just sort of throwing the gates open and asking for your support if you like what we're doing to help us continue to make this thing and hopefully to allow us to start putting more time and more energy and into it and more resources into it and maybe into some more pod podcasting projects that we want to make going forward please do consider at the very least checking it out we've got some a bunch of different tiers that you can support us at we've got some goals with uh rewards baked in and we just we really uh we really appreciate any support that you are able to offer uh it means the world to us that we already have some people that have signed up to say that they like what we're doing and want to support it fungibly. And that just really, it's humbling and makes me really happy to see. That's all I have to launch into the ether here. So thank you again for listening to Backstage Gaming. We'll be back next week with uh, back at our full manpower with Dylan back in his side of the microphone. So until then, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.